Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to episode number 15 of The Fix, giving you education, solutions, and troubleshooting for the baseball pitcher, featuring sport kinesiologist Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish, publisher of OnBaseball.com, as well as MetsToday.com, which is part of ESPN's Sweet Spot Network. Angel is a scientist, and her specialty is in the baseball pitching motion. She's worked with pitchers from the little leagues through the big leagues and is the author of the book, Engineering the Pitching Elbow, which you can find on Angel's website, gymscience.com. And we have Angel with us right now, so let's get her on the line. Hi, Angel. How are things going there? Everything's going great, Joe. How are you today? I am great, and I'm hot. It's summertime, and it is steamy hot in New York City, and um, we're having a good time out here, good weather, beautiful baseball weather, and from what I understand, it's baseball weather everywhere. Uh, the yeah. summer teams are in full swing. You know, we've got, we've got travel ball is taking place. You've got all-star teams. Um, do they still have American Legion baseball? I know that's what I used to play. They had American Legion ball, um, Connie Mack baseball, Sandy Koufax ball, Stan Musial ball. Babe Ruth League. I mean, everything is happening at once right now. Uh, we've got young players of all ages from six, seven years old up to, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, all playing a lot of baseball right now, playing almost every day. Some kids, some kids are playing twice a day. And um, I, I think that we need to talk about some things with, with all the baseball that's being played because um, I think once in a while, Kids, you know, they're very excited about playing. Their parents get excited, and, and once in a while, maybe they forget some of the rules that they're supposed to be adhering to, um, you know, with, with all the excitement of baseball. And I thought maybe uh, we could talk to you about some of the – just go, go through a review of some of the rules that we need to remember with summer ball. You know, summer ball, just because you're playing every day and it's not high school ball or – whatever your main team is, you still need to follow the rules to stay safe as a pitcher, especially. I so, think that's um, a great idea. I thought maybe we... yeah. It is a great idea, isn't it? I, I think you came up with it, though. <laughs> well, let's, let, me, let me tell you this. Yes, I came up with it, but I came up with it because the fathers and the uh, coaches give me plenty of material to work with because I get so many calls asking me questions, and over the years of specializing with pitchers over the 20 years. All the rules and everything you hear me talk about actually stemmed from a question that a father asked me, and I had to make a decision. I had to maybe do research or whatever. So I've come up with rules. I came up with rules early on, and and I am a fanatic about not breaking them. And, And there's some that have kept my pitchers really safe, and there's plenty of parents and coaches that have thanked me over the years. So I think the sooner that a father and a coach gets their own set of rules that they absolutely stick to and never violate, I think that they themselves will start feeling more consistent with with the the role they're playing, whether it be a father, whether it be a coach, or whether it be both. So, yes, so I think it's a great idea, and I think that because it is July, 
And because of the amount of ball being played, this is one of the most uh, frequent calls that I've been getting in the last few weeks. And it is, it, and I say this to all the fathers and to all the coaches, that first of all, we already know that the kids, the pitchers that are the best are at the highest risk. They're not just at the highest risk because they're using their body uh, more, uh, you know, differently, like let's say throwing with a higher velocity, but they tend to get used more. And uh, so we know that throughout the year we always want to be careful with the pitchers that are at high risk. But at this time of the year, even if your son has not been a star, he frequently could possibly be asked to do something that is not in line with what the rules are. And and this particularly happens when we have these three- and four-day tournaments. Coaches run out of pitchers. So pitchers are pitching today, they're pitching later on today, they're pitching tomorrow. And what happens with parents is, and this is something to be very careful about, is it's very easy to be so excited, especially if you're a parent of a kid who doesn't see a lot of innings, it's so easy to be so excited over the fact that your kid is becoming a star, he is a star, or he has a chance to be a star. And he has a chance to do something for the team. And this could be that he pitched yesterday and the coach says, I really need him again today. Um, And I think that what happens is it's easy for a parent to confuse being proud about their kid and being happy about what's happening and then violating a rule. In other words, getting sort of like your feathers out, and it may be that your feathers are out more than the kids, and then saying yes to something that you really shouldn't say yes to, and in your own head saying, well, it's just this one time. You have to be able to take in the pride of being asked. You have to take in the fact that, yes, this is great that my son's getting this compliment, but no, we can't violate the rule. And the parent really has to oversee this because the coach is doing the best he can to win the games. And so the father has to be on top of it. And believe it or not, a lot of times when there's a breaking of rules about pitchers going in twice in one day, et cetera, the parent is kind of blind to what's really actually happening. And I'm putting all the parents on alert right now that at this time of the year, not to confuse stardom or flattery, that, that you're being asked to um, pitch again and again because it's so important and you're so good, and not to mix that up with safety. And it's, a, it's probably the number one rule that gets broken, I think. Well, that's, you know, <clears throat> you bring up a couple of good points there. But now, now what happens, now, if, you're, if you're the parent of a child who, when you watch the team, your kid is one of the better players on the team, maybe even the best player on the team, maybe the best pitcher on the team, and, you know, when he's not in there, the team doesn't really have a good chance to win. And now, you know, maybe he's playing shortstop one day and then pitching the next day. Um, you know, how, how can a parent, you know, take control of that situation and say, and say you know, I mean, I mean it's, it's got to be hard because it's very conflicting. On the one hand, you want to win. You, you want to see your kid win. You want, you want the team to win. You want everybody happy. But, you know, it. It, it takes it takes a lot of guts for either the player or the or the parent to say, you know what, I can't pitch today, and I, you know this this is going to let everyone down. But that's something really that if if that if that's the case, if if there's if there's an issue with rest, if they're throwing too much or if they have pain or something like that, you know that's something that that needs to happen. It you know it may seem really important 
today, this afternoon, um, to get in the game and help the team win. But there should be more of a long range, um, long range viewpoint on whether or not you go into a game for one reason or another. Could you just really quickly go over a couple of reasons when a pitcher should definitely not go into a game? Even, even if it means the championship and it's the most important game of the year or, or he's going to let the team down or, or something like that, could you just give us like a, a few mm-hmm. reasons? Like, Give me a couple of just really good examples of where the kid cannot get on the mound. Yeah, well, uh, the first thing is if his arm's hurting, and this is the most violated of all rules I, uh, because I get calls from parents telling me and reporting into me about other coaches and other parents who when the child said, my arm is sore, they said something like, just go in for one inning or we need you just this one time or whatever, some kind of a story. But what, what the bottom line was that the, the pitcher himself was saying that his arm was sore and that it was ignored. And I'm not saying that everybody does this, but it does happen. And I I know everybody listening can probably pinpoint a case when somebody they know is in that situation. And just because the person who's ignoring it is unconscious at that minute, and people do tend to go unconscious, so the coach may not even be realizing the seriousness. But this is the most serious thing, especially when the pitcher is saying, because what you're now doing is you're having this pitcher think that his pain doesn't mean anything. And secondly, you're allowing, uh, you know, somebody who's unconscious to actually control a situation. So the number one reason for injury is pitching with a fatigued or a sore arm. So that's the number one time when you never let your kid pick up a ball if his arm is sore, not even to play catch. He should be testing it out with a warm-up program or whatever, and then, no, no, my arm is still sore, and then you don't even let him throw a ball. That's the number one thing. Number two, the recovery guidelines for pitch counts. And so I get this call at least once a week. Angel, I only pitched, I pitched, you know, 42 pitches, and I want to pitch, you know, in such and such day. And I know I'm supposed to have two days recovery, but since it's only three pitches over the the count, can I please just, what do you think about me just taking one day recovery? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. The biggest thing is if there's a rule in place, you cannot ever bend it. And I've never bent it for even one pitch. And I've had pitchers beg me and say, can I just throw one more pitch? Because let's say we're keeping them at a low pitch count because they've got a game in two days and they're working with me. Just one more, Angel. I just want to throw one more pitch. No, absolutely not. Once you start bending rules, like, oh, it's okay to get in the car. I only had three drinks, not four drinks. Oh, it's okay for me to write this check for $200, even though I only have 190 in my checking account. The minute you start bending rules about anything, you have no rules at all. And then before you know it, you're, you're never considering the rules. So recovery guidelines are there for a reason. And also, you don't pitch a pitcher twice in a day. Once a pitcher is in recovery, and that recovery starts the minute he walks off the mound, he needs to recover. So you don't put him in as a catcher. You don't put him in later that day. You definitely don't put him in the next day. So the two biggest things are um, ignoring rules, saying just this one time, and then 
ignoring the recovery guidelines and ignoring the child's pain or soreness. Those are rules that should never, ever, ever be broken. And these are conversations you have with your pitching, you're the pitcher in your life around the dinner table. And you say, this is how we're going to handle your journey with pitching so that you're all on the same page. And your son may have to come to the parent and say, I need you to bail me out, or maybe you won't. And also be observant of the coaches that your son is pitching for to see is this a coach that seems to honor guidelines. If your first week with the team, he's asking your son to pitch every day, you may you can't change him, but you might want to change teams. And I think that more coaches are becoming cognizant of the fact that everybody's watching. And that's the good news that's come out of all the surgeries. Everybody's on high alert and going to extremes in some ways. So those are those are some quick quick ways to start to evaluate and make better decisions during this time of the year when this is the time when those rules are broken the most. Okay, Angel, those are, those are good rules to follow. Um, now, of course, you know, I, I agree with you. Once you start bending a rule, you know, what's the point of having a rule? But can someone really injure themselves if, if, it, if it just happens one time? Have you ever had an example of a pitcher breaking the rule just one time and getting, and getting hurt? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I have calls all the time, and I just got one last night, where I actually saw a 15-year-old with a cast on his arm from surgery. And when I was having a discussion about this, because when I see this in a young kid, it's, it's bad when you see a young kid in a cast because he's just had Tommy John. He's in a certain type of brace. It's worse when you see the seven-inch scar that they get. And I've seen that on 12-year-olds. I always hear the connection between the injury and, well, this happened last summer when he played for this team and he said his arm was sore. And even though we know that there probably were a series of events, in the parent's mind or in the pitcher's mind, they always can go back to one experience where, I, my arm was sore, or I pitched twice in one day. He was overused during this tournament. I have fathers, I remember a father calling me a few months ago saying, I feel so guilty because I let him go in twice on a weekend or whatever the story was. And this poor father felt so guilty because he feels he didn't protect his son more. And he said he never was the same after that, and now he's had surgery. No parent wants to live with that. So even though we know that probably not just at one time, but if you're in an environment where that happens, then it probably was an accumulation. But most pitchers can pinpoint when, the day when their arm changed from one category to another. I was fine, I was recovering, and then I had this weekend, and you know after that, it just never was the same. I could continue to pitch, but this, that, and they actually can see the downhill. So, yes, and more importantly, as I said, once you see yourself do something, even if you say it's one time, you are in trouble. 
It's a slippery slope. And the only way to get through this war that we have with injuries right now is to not be on that slope. So if you make the decisions up front, and this is why I tell parents and I think coaches too, please decide when you're not on the field what rules you're going to have and how you're going to honor them so that you're not in a heightened emotional state when you are trying to figure out what to do. If a parent knows before they're in a situation that their son is not going to violate recovery rules and pitch with a fatigued arm, even though he himself may not feel like it's fatigued, you're not going to have any trouble when the son runs to you in the bleachers and says, the coach wants to put me in, I just pitched yesterday. You're not going to have any trouble knowing what to do. But if you're not prepared for that moment, Who knows how you can have a moment of unconsciousness or be swayed by the emotion of the the minute. That's why all these things should be done up front. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's a great point. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to give in and break a rule when, when it's the heat of the moment and it's a tie ball game and the winning runs on third and yada, yada, yada. The the rules have to be set, as you said, off the field. Uh, and to the point where decisions have to be made before the game even starts in a lot of cases, because a lot of these kids are playing on multiple teams with multiple coaches. The coaches may not know what the what the history is with the kid for the last 24, 48, 96 hours. It, I, I think it's something that has to be up front. It's like, like they do in the big leagues sometimes. All right, this pitcher just is not going to throw in this game today. Things like that have to happen and say, under no circumstances do, does this pitcher go into the game. And and you're right. As far as breaking rules goes, there's no one ever breaks the rule once. It's it's once they break the rule, it's the rule just keeps getting broken. And again, you know, I I look at Major League Baseball, and these are grown men who, by and large, are not following the the recovery guidelines. And I'm talking about relief pitchers specifically. You know, they, they don't follow the guidelines, and they get away with it the first time. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a pattern because. Well, he did it last time. He can do it again, and then it becomes he becomes to get this this um, this theory that that he has a rubber arm because he can keep doing it. But you can't continually break the rules and break the rules and break the rules just because it's not because that person's so special or anything. He's, he's probably eventually gonna all these pitchers that that I've heard of are rubber arms. All of them went down with one injury or another because. Yeah. They were the ones who were always going in one game after another and oh that guy doesn't need rest. You know, other guys need rest, but he doesn't. He's he's fine. He's mm-hmm. got a rubber arm. He goes in, goes in, goes in, and then mm-hmm. oh, I, I don't understand how he got blew out his elbow or tore out his shoulder. You know, it happens all the time at the major league level mm-hmm. with grown men. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you see this with, you know, twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty year old men. Guess what? Kids ten, twelve, fourteen, fifteen, I would imagine that their their arms are even more fragile than than an older mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. all the more reason to follow the rules. So, exactly. Well, Angel, there's something yeah. else that um, there's something else that I caught that you were talking about. Um, if a pitcher, and a lot of these pitchers are, are also one of the best players on the team just because they're great athletes. I've seen all the time in the past, and I see all the time now, you know, the pitcher is the starting pitcher. He throws the first three, four, five innings. Now there's two more innings to go. He's one of the best players on the team. So after he comes off the mound, he might go to shortstop or he might go to center field. So are you saying that's a bad idea as well? 
Well, you know, there are some phenoms that are able to play more than one position and sometimes get away with it. The outfield is pretty, well, you know, you think to yourself, well, we're putting him in the outfield, he's not going to get that many balls. Well, he's throwing a really long distance, and is he actually even warmed up for that distance? And actually, most coaches don't put their pitchers in the outfield in the same game. I do know of pitchers that go in as a shortstop. Do I think it's a good idea? No. They act in, and normally they don't do that after they're done pitching. The real rule of thumb is when you're done pitching, you're done. You're done. Your arm is done, your shoulder is done, and it needs to go. It's, it, it needs to start recovering immediately. And you know the pitcher himself is done. I mean, it takes energy to pitch. So, do I think it's a bad idea? Yes, actually, I think it's a very bad idea for pitchers to play more than one position. Unfortunately, in the younger ages, they have to. But it has to be carefully planned out to where the pitcher is not doing something that's going to interfere with his recovery. And the, the older he gets, the more those rules follow. The high school coaches uh, know it more than the youth coaches. The youth coaches, and as youth players, you know, like you'll ask a coach, "How many pitchers do you have?" Well, they all pitch. So that's going to be kind of a different scenario. But um, when a pitcher's done, he's usually done. And that's the safest way to go. And the other thing is, is uh, the pitcher has to be able to know if his arm is okay to do whatever he's being asked to do on that same day. Um, but normally, uh, to my knowledge, it goes the other way around. They may put a pitcher in as a shortstop and then pull him in as middle relief or something. And I don't like I, that to me is way safer than going in the other direction. But um, the closer you can okay. get to keeping it pure, the better. Let me, let me throw another situation at you because it's something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, from the time I was in Little League, I was a pitcher and a catcher. And I remember in Little League, I and, and another, another kid were the, the best two pitchers on the team. So we would, we would split the game. I would pitch the first three innings, and then I would go behind the plate and catch him for the last three innings or vice versa. And then in high school, I would pitch – maybe on a Monday, and then on Wednesday I would be the catcher, on Friday I would be the catcher, and then on Monday I'd be the, the pitcher again. If there have been many situations where there was a doubleheader, I might pitch the first game, and then the second game I'd be the catcher. How do you feel about a pitcher-catcher combination? Because that's a lot of throwing well, for it, both positions. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, not, it's, it's how I feel about it, but how I feel about it is stemming from research that's been done and also um, what, you know, ASMI has been talking about for years and also just from understanding the dynamics of throwing. But the pitcher-catcher combination is deadly. It's deadly no matter how you look at it. It is a loaded gun that you're leaving laying around that at any moment, if a kid gets his hand on it, could shoot himself or hurt somebody else. It is a deadly, deadly combination. And I, in this last week, had to tell two people who called me, because I always ask when I get a call, what other positions does your son play? And when they tell me catcher, I'm so serious about it that I have a rule in my business that I will not work with a pitcher if he is a catcher. Now, here's the reaction I get. One, sometimes they get a little mad, they don't say a word, and that's the end of the conversation. The other parent goes, why do you feel that way? Because they know I'm turning down money. So they say, why do you feel that way? And that's what I love. 
if they know that it's so important that I'm turning away business, and I tell them because of one, the extra work that the kid's arm's going to go under working with me, because working with me and working on mechanics is strenuous, that I can't overload his arm with even more, and that it's also a huge liability for me. Because if I'm working with a pitcher who's also a catcher, you see, when my pitchers work with me, they give me feedback throughout the week, out the week as to how their arm feels. And that's how I know I'm doing the right thing and also lets me know what's going on inside their shoulder. Well, if they're doing, if they're catching as well, I don't get that solid feedback. And trust me, if that kid gets hurt, I'm going to take it as my responsibility, regardless if it was or not. So I have to protect, I feel like I'm protecting myself as well as the pitcher. And what I love is when the parent hears that. And also the problem is parents think, well, they're kids. You know, we should let them explore and play. Well, you know what? Not in this day and age, 12 and 13, and you're playing pitcher and catcher. No, you're leading yourself into Tommy John surgery. And this is actually on, this is actually a statement I think that came out as part of Dr. Andrews' statement. They, they warned again the combination. It used to be we'd say, well, once he pitches, he can't catch. He can catch, he can be a catcher and go to pitcher, but he can't be a pitcher and go to catching. Then it was, well, he can pitch on one weekend and catch on the other. And then it, now it's don't do it. Don't be both. Mm. And have right. the kid make a decision what's in his heart. Angel, what if, what if the kid's throwing strikes and he's successful? I mean, in any situation, I mean, do you, need, do you still need to worry about things like this if he's doing well and he's not having any problems? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that's another rule that I think is important, that you, you that it's not just his performance that you need to be paying attention to. Now, you pay attention to it. To, obviously, we measure a pitcher on, you know, is he performing well? That's very important. And also, we look carefully about he's performing well now, and all of a sudden he's not. What's going on? You know, uh, my arm is sore, and so all of a sudden his velocity goes down 10 miles per hour. That's a good sign that something's wrong. So you do have to look at performance but you can't only look at performance you have to as a parent not just be walking around smiling because your son knows how to get the job done you need to be looking at how he's getting the job done you know my back is to the plate when I'm working for a reason because I don't care about anything but that he's doing his job correctly. And then what we do is we bring that and marry that with his ability to throw strikes. And the cool thing is it usually happens hand in hand. But the way that a pitcher is pitching is critical. So I don't care what you do with recovery guidelines. I don't care what you do with limiting how much your son pitches. If he's not pitching correctly, if he's not pitching efficiently, if his mechanics are funky, if you're seeing strange release points, if he's getting a sore arm, then you're overlooking the most important thing, which is the way he's doing what he's doing. So just as Dr. Andrews talks about don't be caught up in velocity, I say don't be caught up in that he throws strikes. Be caught up in how does my son throw strikes? How does he pitch? What does his motion look like? 
because that way you know you're covering all the bases. And if you start with that, you're going to end up with the performance. The performance stuff can, comes just as easily with great mechanics as it can with funky mechanics. The kid with funky mechanics is on thin ice anyway. So how right. the pitcher is doing what he's doing is the most important rule to follow. Okay. Now, what what if a, a pitcher is, is making sure that he... He's following, you know, one of the one of the really important rules, like some of the rules that Dr. James Andrews laid down. Um, you know, what what if he's making sure that his pitch counts are are what they are, and what they're supposed to be, and may, maybe some maybe something else comes up. Maybe he has a storm or, or or something else. But as long as he's following the pitch count rules, isn't that enough? No, actually, it's not okay to even follow just one rule. And in fact, you have to kind of follow them. If you don't do the, if you don't have the whole package going, you're not. You might as well not be doing anything. So, for example, if you're only saying, if you're saying, "Oh, I am the best coach in the world," because guess what? If my pitchers pitch, they don't pitch until they're recovered, and we follow the USA Baseball Recovery Guidelines that Dr. Andrews recommends, and I follow those. But let's say that coach doesn't have the pitchers warming up before they pitch. And I'm not talking about playing catch. I'm talking about warming up to play catch. I'm talking about doing a joint-by-joint warm-up so that no kid throws a ball unless his shoulder and elbow are completely lubricated through movements that he did that were designed to do that. For example, so you can have the best mechanics in the world, but if you didn't warm up, you could hurt yourself. You can have the best mechanics in the world, but if you just pitched yesterday, you can hurt yourself. You can have, be throwing strikes and be winning, and you can be warming up, and you can be following pitch count guidelines, but if you are violating every rule of the bones in the way that you throw, then none of that matters. So you cannot take one thing, pull it out, and say, great, I'm doing a great job with my son. Or I, as the pitcher, am really careful because I always warm up or I always do this. You have to do all of them. You have to make sure what he does is being done correctly, that he prepares his body to do it, and that he recovers after he does it. Those three things have to go together. And when it comes to mechanics, that has to be looked at and has to be adjusted consistently to make sure that he's constantly staying in the zone of being safe and being efficient. And so a strategy for change needs to come from an analysis of mechanics, not just getting the mechanics analyzed. So this constant twirling around of all those three things has to go on in a pitcher's career. And the better that he does that and the better he is at doing it, the longer he's going to be able to uh, remain a pitcher that's uninjured. Well, I, I think that you just explained why there are so many Tommy John surgeries in Major League Baseball because there's no way that that most pitchers follow all three parts of the package. I mean, there's all of them have one issue, whether it's a recovery issue, a mechanics issue, or or something else. Um, here. So you're talking about, you know, keeping keeping the mechanics on track and keeping them tuned up. Nowadays, with with all the technology, there are all kinds of 
apps for the phone and video and software and this and that. So I, you know, I know a lot of parents that, that take, take, you know, slow motion video of their kids on the mound. They, they, they use their, their phone to do one of their, you know, there's an app for that. There's one thing or another. So I think a lot of the parents are already, you know, trying to do that, trying to do a, you know, a good job of, of keeping track of the, of the pitcher's mechanics and, um, and analyzing them. You know, are these tools that, that you like to see parents using? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, if you need a Tommy John surgery, would you want your parent going out and uh, Googling Tommy John surgery and buying Tommy John surgery for dummies and uh, figuring out how to do your own surgery? I mean, is there anything serious <laughs> that we do on our own? Why people think that adjusting mechanics is a simple thing, it, it goes beyond my awareness every time I think about it. When I see these apps, I'll tell you the thing that makes that upsets me the most is when I see parents over-filming their kids, and every time that they do, they sit down with the kid and they're showing them 600 pitches, and they're talking about it, and the kid knows it's not making any sense. And there's this constant look at this, look at that. My question to people who look at software that helps you analyze, and I blame this on companies that put this out as if it would be like a company putting out an app for do your own Tommy John surgery. Wouldn't you have to say, where does this company get off? And would the doctors be upset if they thought that a company was going to do this? Absolutely they would be upset. So am I upset? Absolutely. Absolutely, because I went to years of schooling, just like a doctor does, to learn how to connect the dots with movement, how to look at a film, how to analyze, and how to create the solution. If you can't create a solution you, and you don't know how to teach the solution, then don't look at the film. Don't show your kid that he's doing such and such if you don't know why he's doing it or how to correct it because the pitcher doesn't really want to hear what he's doing wrong. He wants to know how to fix it. And believe me, they want to get there fast. They want you to shut up, stop telling them what they're doing wrong, and teach them. But we know that a parent can't do that unless they have background. So this thing about taking video, my question is, what are you looking at? So you can frame by frame it. What are you looking at? What are you actually looking at? Do you know how to organize your eyes to actually see the motion? Do you understand the motion? Do you even know where to stop the video frame by, when you're frame by framing it? Do you know which frames are the ones to stop at to look? Because you don't look at every single frame. There's particular frames. So to me, there's a lot of danger because with all this convenience of doing this, it's sending the message that you don't need a professional. It's sending the message that you can do this. It's also sending the message that this isn't serious. And to me, it's a sin because it is serious. When I hear a parent say to me, well, I, you know, film every one of my son's pitches and I look at it, if that father doesn't have or mother doesn't have a background, then it concerns me that they think that they're covering that base. You're not covering the base unless you're actually having it done by somebody who knows what they're doing or at least is involved in the industry in a way where they have some background. But just as a parent, 
doing this, it doesn't really make much sense to me. The biggest issue with it being not that you're doing it, but the effect it can have on the picture and also the fact that while you're doing it, you're not looking for someone to do it for you. And you should be searching for, for a professional in your area that can actually take a look at film. Leagues need to start bringing people in and making them available to their coaches. Coaches need to start learning as much as they can about this. They need to be taught. You know, I would love nothing more than to have a room full of coaches and show them how to look at film. You know, that, that's the way us, those of us that do work in the industry can branch out and get more people more educated. But, yeah, that's, that, that's a very serious thing to me. And, um, but as I said, it's also serious in that you can make the picture crazy. Well, you know, I know it's going through the minds of a lot of uh, our listeners who are coaches and, and um, fathers who maybe played some ball or have watched a lot of baseball. What's going through their minds right now is that I know what a good motion looks like because I've been watching baseball or playing baseball for 20 years, 30 years. Um, you know, I, I, I've i known pitching coaches who told me the right the right way to throw a baseball, this or that. And I, I think that's a... You know that that's that's a big problem. That's a, that's the biggest problem here is that most, you know, a lot of coaches, especially at the higher levels, even at the pro levels, they they really do believe that they know what a good pitching motion is. They know what smooth mechanics are, is how they call it. Um, you know, this is something that we've gone into before. We don't really need to rehash it again. But Angel, maybe you could just quickly, you know, I, I, we can't like go through the entire the entire. Um, Thing, but give us an idea of what a professional is who has like what what kind of title does that person have what kind of background do they have what kind of what kind of education do they have in, the, in their background just just try to encapsulate it as easily as you can because it's it's not just a matter of, of you know watching video and seeing a lot of major league pictures it's it's a lot more than just that yeah, well, at ASMI, everybody on their staff, Dr. Spicek has a Ph.D. in biomechanics, and he's got people working for him that have Ph.D.s and people with master's degrees. And they all are, because that is a biomechanics institute, they do the quantitative analysis. Uh, they all have master's degrees. I have a master's degree. What does that mean? It means that I didn't just take general courses in physiology and kinesiology as an undergraduate where you have to learn a little bit about a lot of things. I went on to specialize in an area where I was taught how to view film, taught how to look at the body in motion, and then am able to apply the kind of research that, for example, the biomechanics uh, lab produces to what the work I do. So, for example, if you don't understand what the guidelines are that Dr. Fleissig puts out as to where body parts should be at certain places of the motion. If you don't know how, what those guidelines are, and there's like 20-some guidelines, if you don't know that, then you don't know where to stop the film, you don't know what to look at, and you don't know what, what, when you look at it if things are in the right place. So that's the thing about looking at the analysis. In terms of the ability to make the change, you have to have some understanding of the way motion is created. And you would know this by talking to an instructor because you would feel strongly that you're listening to a teacher. Teaching motion and teaching and making the uh, connection between an error 
and what that actually means. And I've said this many times. What you see, what an ex-pitcher may be able to say very easily, wow, this kid is really pulling his head to the, let's say he's a right-handed pitcher. He's really pulling his head to the left as he starts his motion and he's all crooked when he delivers the ball. Yeah, he'd probably be able to see that. But knowing why he's pulling his head, because his head is not the problem. So if you as a pitching instructor are going to start saying, now we want your head to stay here, well, his head may not be able to stay where you want it because there may be something else that's causing it. And the ability to make that connection means you have to have a background in anatomy, you have to understand the spine, you have to understand center of mass, you have to understand balance so that you can go, oh, he's putting his head there because his foot's way over here and he's actually in really good balance when he does that. If you took away the head position, he'd probably fall over. So you need to be able to, in a second, see that. So having somebody who has that background, but first look for the credentials, and then go talk to them and watch them do a lesson. You'll know if they're a teacher. You'll know if they're able to make solutions and connections, and if they're able to make the adjustments that leave your son intact. You see, that ability as well, knowing how do you deliver feedback and information, because you can't, you have to be aware of the person that you're teaching, and you're not there to show off all the knowledge you have. You know, you, you might be looking at 100 things, and there may be two words that come out of your mouth to get the job done. So the teaching ability as well. And, and, and you know, try out. Try out um, uh, an instructor that has credentials and ask the pitcher. And that's the way that you, uh, that you start to dial in and get somebody that can help you. But don't think you can do it yourself. And it doesn't mean that you're not smart. It means that you're having respect for the pitching skill, just like not everybody can pitch. So I, that's right. what I would like to see happen. Well, I, I would like to see that happen too. Um, you know, no no disrespect to any of the pitching coaches out there, but um, I feel like there are a lot of pitching coaches out there who really don't have an understanding, the depth of knowledge that's necessary to um, to be making changes. And, and in, a, in a lot of cases, I, I think a lot of things that can happen is the pitchers are, are actually in more harm um, when they're not going to the to people who have the right background, so well, that'll have to be. Uh, well, you know, I, I've always said pitching coaches have done the job they've been handed, and now the day is changing. And pitching coaches now, I think, also know that in some ways they've been over in over their head, but they haven't had anybody to call. Well, now they do, and I think that they need to start reaching out and know that it doesn't mean that they're not good at what they do because what they do as far as being a pitching coach, nobody else can do. ASMI can't do what they do. I can't do what they do. And they can't do what we do. So the thing is for that for baseball to allow that in, and that's the way that that's the way that it goes. And wouldn't a pitching coach love to have some help on those areas? Because they know they're, that uh, you know, especially when it comes to injuries. Yeah. And you absolutely. know, for having a pitch coming off an injury. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um... We're we're right on time. We're uh we're we've covered quite a bit today. Um, did we miss anything? Is there anything else that uh we needed to cover for for summer ball right now? I think we I think we hit all the points we needed to hit. 
Yeah, we did. We hit all the points. Great. Well, um, I would say we'd go into a miss, but we're already coming up to the 40-minute point, and I'm sure people are are ready to uh, move on to the next thing that they're going to do today. But I think uh, we, we got a lot of really important things uh, taken care of and squared up here. And, Angel, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk here on, on The Fix, number 15. Um, if you want to learn more about Angel and what she does with pitchers, you can visit her website, gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. It's where you're going to find tons of great free articles on pitching mechanics, on injury prevention, and, of course, her book, Engineering the Pitching Elbow, which is a book full of strength and conditioning exercises specifically for the elbow because you can strengthen the elbow and help yourself prevent Tommy John surgeries. And again, you can find all that on gymscience.com. For more about me, Joe Janish, you can visit metstoday.com or onbaseball.com or follow me on Twitter at onbaseball. I want to thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned a few things, and we wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.